Hello, all, and welcome to your weekly Tech News Hour. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino. Thanks for joining us. And by us, I mean me. I mean us in the collective sense. Us, the internet at large, society, humanity, indeed, all of creation itself joins us here on the show. It's promising a lot, I'm not going to lie, but when you're here for this hour, you're with me. We're going to be talking about the week that was in technology news, and I'm not going to lie, one topic is going to dominate today's episode and that's because we're going to be talking about WWDC. I had the pleasure to sit down with Allison Sheridan of the Podfeet Podcasting Empire. Um, and we're going to be uh, playing that in a little bit. I recorded that uh, a couple days ago. But the news is still fresh. WWDC happened literally a week from the date of this broadcast. Couldn't cover it on last week's show. So I thought Allison would be the perfect one to give some kind of analysis, some depth, some uh, uh, some additional context, I guess, to a lot of the announcements. Uh, but there was some other stuff that happened in technology news. Turns out, uh, Apple isn't the only company that exists in the universe. Who knew? Have you heard of this company called Google? They're pretty cool, uh, I guess. Sure, why not? Anyway, they uh, recently gave some more details about their new Stadia streaming service. If you missed the boat on this, don't worry, it's not out yet. The boat is still in the dock. They just told us there was a boat and that at some point it would leave a dock. Um, and now they've kind of told us the size of the boat and how much the boat costs. Um, metaphor properly tortured. Let's get into the details. So a few months ago, they uh, kind of released details that, hey, we're going to do a streaming service or a, a, a video game streaming service. Not like Netflix, but you'll be able to play a PC game theoretically in a web browser is one of the capabilities that they showed. So you don't have to have an expensive PC. You pay a service or, or you know, you, you use Google service and you're able to do that. Interesting idea. They are not the first company to try to do something like this. Uh, there was a company called OnLive that did it a number of years ago. Didn't exactly work out as planned. Uh, there's a company called Shadow PC, which does something similar. Uh, at Microsoft is working on something like this. They're going to have something, a, a streaming service like this out. And Sony has had the IP to do something like this for a very long time. I don't know when that's actually ever going to happen. But so we know a little bit of details about Stadia. The way they have it framed with this initial launch, it's coming out in November but instead of just being like, hey, everybody sign up, they're making it a little tortured. So instead of just being, hey, you pay this much a month and you can use the, the service, they're making it so that through into 2020, the only way to get in on the service is to buy a Founders Edition kind of kit. And what this gives you is uh, it gives you the Stadia controller in a special limited edition color if anyone cares about that. If you do seek help. Um, you get a Chromecast Ultra, which is, again, like their HD, or I guess it's their 4K streaming stick thing. Uh, not like It's not like that great of a deal. Uh, and then you get three months of the service for free, and then after that, it's $10 a month. And this whole package costs $130 in the U.S., more in other markets, what have you. Um, you can stream games up to 4K, 60 frames per second, which is really impressive. Um, I think 4K gaming, especially at 60 frames per second, that's kind of... The benchmark for a lot of really fast-moving uh, fast games, if you're not familiar with games at all, sure. Uh, things like first-person shooters, you really want to hit that 60 frame per second. It ensures a very smooth gameplay, that kind of stuff. Uh, and 4K is very impressive. You really need a high-end card to get that on a PC front, generally, um, if you want to have any kind of details enabled with that. And the fact that they're going to have um, HDR and 5.1 surround sound with that as well, very impressive. What's more interesting to me, though, is kind of what comes after this, right? When we're, we're thinking about... Um, sometime in 2020, one, they're going to open this up so that you don't need to buy this Founders Edition. And two, at some point, they're also going to have a free tier to this where basically you can get 1080p 
uh, uh, 60 frame per second streaming uh, for free. And I'm assuming it's going to be ad supported and mine all the data. But that's kind of Google's MO, so we're not surprised. You need 35 meg down uh, for 4K, theoretically, and 10 meg up. I've seen some hand-wringing that for people that have data caps, and you probably do have a data cap uh, from your ISP if you use one of the major ones. Usually it's about a terabyte or two, um, and it's hard to, I don't want to say it's hard to hit that, but not a lot of people do end up hitting that, uh, and that's why you don't realize you have a data cap. Uh, I've seen some thoughts that, okay, at 1080, you could do uh, a couple hundred hours of game, or maybe uh, into the hundreds of hours of gameplay. At 4K, you're looking at maybe more like 60 hours of gameplay in a one terabyte data cap outside of using any other data. Um, so it'll be interesting to see once this actually rolls out, if that becomes a bigger issue or if, you know, one of these streaming services partners with an ISP and all of a sudden you have zero rated game streaming. Yay. Welcome to the dystopia. But that was kind of the big thing. We actually got details about Google Stadia. The proof will always with many of these game streaming services. It's still kind of unproven whether, you know, quote unquote gamers, especially PC gamers who have a very set amount of expectations for this. Um, if they are going to buy into it. Um, so I'm very interested in that. Uh, with that, though, that, that to me was the big uh, uh, kind of reveal. We now know pricing. I, I feel like the price is where it needs to be. Obviously, you know, I, I don't think um, Microsoft's going to come in and undercut that too much. I don't think they can, really, and, and still be successful. Uh, however, I think it's about time now that we hop in to this interview with Allison Sheridan. Again, we're talking about Apple's WWDC Worldwide Developer Conference. Don't call it WWDC. We said www dot for the World Wide Web for the longest time. When we're talking about the Worldwide Developers Conference, pronounce the W's. That's my policy. Anyway, we're going to hop right into it. Uh, and I just want to thank uh, Allison Sheridan again for her time in this. It was a really fun uh, interview, and I hope you'll enjoy it, too. Radio waves here in Cleveland, and then later in podcast land, as you are very familiar with. And you were recently, you were, you were not at WWDC, but you were WWDC adjacent at AltConf uh, this past week. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's a it's a really cool conference. I it's sort of like sorcery. I don't know how it works, but it's an all volunteer <laughs> conference that costs nothing to attend. And you're in the hotel that is connected to the convention center where WWDC is happening. So you get to go into a big room and you're full. it's full of developers who couldn't get into the big conference, into WWDC, or didn't want to drop 1600 bucks. And then, uh, But you're watching the keynote and the State of the Union all together, and then there's a bunch of panels. But all the people milling around are developers. So you and, and there's a lot of companies there too, obviously. So there's sponsorship and things like that. But I mean, this is a free conference where they had snacks, like they had they had breakfast burritos oh. one day, they had donuts, they had happy hour. It's like I said, it's like sorcery. You can pay if you want to, and then you become a hero supporter, but you don't have to. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's almost like a like a Patreon model of uh, doing a conference, which is weird to think that that would work. Yeah, yeah, uh, but and that's really awesome. Not only did it did, did it work, it has expanded um, across uh, the country or across the world. There's there were five concurrent conferences in different countries. Wow. <laughs> um, so for those I guess not familiar with Allison. You you do some podcasts with some ever so slight Apple bias, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my tagline. My my main show is called the No Silicast, and it has been going for fourteen years. Every single week, haven't missed an episode. That is truly in, in you know 
they say that uh, data has gravity, but pod fading has an even denser gravity <laughs> than that. So the fact that you've been able to hold into this uh, this podcasting orbit uh, with such consistency is admirable. But we're talking about you know some of these announcements coming out of WWDC, and like you said, you were you were right there with the developers. Um, talking to people and and kind of getting your your getting their feedback kind of right after or during these announcements, which is really amazing. Um, so I guess what for you personally, what was the it was there any one big announcement that really stood out to you from WWDC? I mean, a lot of stuff out there, a lot of updates to all the major platforms, new hardware. You know, what really stood out? There's there's two big things. Um, I'm sure your audience has heard about Sign In with Apple, which is their new service that will allow app developers to use this Sign In with Apple service instead of doing their own work uh, to create sign ins. And in the in the keynote, they talked about it very much from the user perspective. They said, you're going to go to an app and you'll be able to create this sign in with Apple. You just sign in with them and it's so much easier for you and it's all awesome. You uh, when you create your uh, when you, you create your account with this uh, app developer, it will give the app developer this kind of fake email address and mm -hmm. you won't be revealing your real email address. And you can shut that one down if you if you need to. It'll be a private relay dot but then in the State of the Union, which is much more developer focused, the way they described it was, why is this good for developers? And I think that makes it even more interesting to talk about because you understand why developers are going to do this for you. First of all, they said it's faster for a user to decide to use their app, the, the developer's app. So how many times have you installed an app and you go to use it and it wants you to create a login and you're like, ah, I don't, you know, I'll do it later. <laughs> right. And you're out. But if it's just sign in with Apple, you just hit it and you're in. So that that does one good thing for the developer. The second thing is they don't have to do email verification because Apple has already v verified the email address and you don't have to do you don't have to store passwords. You don't have to do password reset. You're not responsible for any of that. So the developers are really motivated, I think, to to do sign in with Apple, which will help the users a lot to actually get it. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that not a lot of people are talking about that, you know, a lot of times when it, when you have to yeah sign up for an app or something like that, it's almost you have to be running like a website and an organization behind it to kind of just support all that ancillary stuff. That's very important. Obviously, you want to be able to verify email so you don't just get spammed to death. Um, but then for, you know, kind of Apple to come in, not just from a privacy perspective, which, again, is one of their, uh, you know, what they're really hanging their hat on in terms of market differentiation for consumers. But to be able to say, hey, we're going to we're going to take this off, you know, in the same way that the App Store took a lot of the, you know, the onus off developers to have to necessarily host stuff they didn't want to or, or that kind of stuff to be able to then take all of that, you know, kind of things that developers really don't care about and really are just things that can go wrong for them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah is really interesting. It's a really interesting approach. Well, I'm glad you brought up the App Store because I, I was thinking about that. One of the things I dislike about the App Store from, from a developer perspective is that the developers do not get to know who their users are. Mm -hmm. So you, a developer can't know that, that, that Rich has signed up and bought this app. They don't know that Rich bought it. Uh, but with sign-in with Apple, you're going to be kind of in a really good place where as a developer, you do have the person's address, but if you abuse them, they can shut it off. So it, it sort of like demands you don't be, a, you know, nagware uh, to the user. <laughs> so you've got this tenuous relationship. You've been handed the keys, but they've got a string on them and they can pull them back. So I think that's a better way to do it than the way the App Store does it. In fact, it'd be great if the App Store let them, you know, people have these fake addresses. I think that'd be really slick. 
Um, the other thing is, think about from a security standpoint, the developers don't have to maintain a database of passwords that they could potentially lose. They're not in danger of doing it wrong. And from a user perspective, you look at it and go, I know that my username and password is going to be secure because Apple is doing it. And if Apple, Apple really screwed it up, I'd get a bunch of money in the class action lawsuit anyway. Um, the other thing Apple said in the uh, State of the Union was these IDs will have to have two-factor authentication enabled. So that's another oh, wow. security layer that will have to be there for you to use sign in with Apple. Now, Allison, did you get any impression? Because my first thought with this was this is great if you are already in that Apple ecosystem. And, it, and it's another um, way for it's another anchor, I guess, for Apple to mm -hmm. kind of keep you there and want you to keep you there and not just make you feel like you're stuck there, but to feel like this is a feature I can't live without. Did you get any sense that this is would be something that Apple, as part of expanding its services beyond, strictly speaking, maybe Apple hardware or what we traditionally think of as Apple did you get any sense that this would expand beyond, you know, if you don't have an iPhone, that this would be an option down the road? Or is this strictly going to be part of their tie-in with their kind of hardware software ecosystem? Why, Rich, I'm glad you asked, because my <laughs> next point was going to be, uh, during the State of the Union, they said that this not only works on Apple devices, but works on the web, which means Android and Windows users will be able to use it out of the gate. Mm, now, oh, out of the gate. I See, now that's something, again that I feel like has been underreported in the media because that to me, then then you're getting into, you know, Apple already has, has is building this reputation, has built this reputation for themselves, has gone to court over their reputation for respecting user privacy and to be able to offer that not just as a way to keep you in their ecosystem, maybe to draw you further to it is very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Um... I, I don't know that sign in with Apple is any more extraordinary than sign in with Google or sign in with Facebook. I don't know, but mm. I personally feel a little bit better using sign in with Apple than sign in with Google or, or Google's probably fine, but sign in with Facebook. I'm not, I'm not pushing that button real often. Yeah, I don't no, know about I, you. I, I really, you know, when that first came out, I thought that was the coolest idea ever. And now, yeah, it's like, mm, I don't want anything that I can avoid being tied to my Facebook account uh, exactly. anymore. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, the what is interesting to me is kind of taking almost like this Google Voice approach, you know, having these proxy, you know, have Apple kind of be your middleman there. And presumably that would give you like a single point to just, uh, you know, a single interface that you could go to to cut off those and make that very easy as well, as opposed to having to manually unsubscribe or delete your accounts and stuff like that. And again, that to me would push me to using the service more than something like a Google or something like a Facebook, because I know... I know Apple, because they they need to differentiate themselves on that privacy factor, are going to try and make that as simple as possible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned these things that I'm talking about are underreported. It is specifically because I watched the State of the Union. Mm -hmm. So what you get out of the, uh, the keynote is all the stuff that it looks cool from a, a user perspective. But getting that flip side was was really, really fun. It, it does get very nerdy. Uh, the next thing I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be talking about some nerdier stuff. It's going to get downhill from here. But um, it, it, if you can if you can live through the nerdiest stuff or you like the nerdy stuff, um, it, it gets it gets pretty interesting. So what was the other big uh, kind of the big announcement that really struck you from the uh, from the keynote? The, 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 the thing that probably got the single biggest applause in the keynote from the developers was the accessibility stuff, which I thought was fascinating. 
Um, I, I made a list of things that got big applause and, you know, things like being able to use a PlayStation or Xbox controller with your Apple TV. Woohoo! Yeah, you know, people got all excited about that. Having Quick Path, the swipe keyboard um, for faster typing in iOS. Oh, everybody was all excited. But when they did the video demonstration of the guy in the wheelchair completely controlling uh, his iOS device uh, with, uh, I think it was iOS device, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, using voice control, that people went bananas about it. And and I think remember I'm in a room full of developers mostly the not not press as much but um I think the thing that matters a lot to the developers is not just that this stuff exists but that Apple's making it easier and easier for them to implement these things. So a lot of developers go through and they build it they build an app and then they go oh darn it now I got to make it accessible and then they spend a bunch of time it's really really hard to bolt on afterwards. It's kind of like, you know, building a, building a house and then later on going, okay, now I need to earthquake proof it. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. You were supposed to do that before you started and then it's way easier. Uh, but Apple implemented, and this again is from the, um, uh, the, the uh, State of the Union, um, they showed a lot of enhancements to how they will be able to implement uh, the accessibility features much more easily than they've been able to do before. And so the combination of hearing what it could do and how they'd be able to implement it more easily, uh, is, there's a bunch of APIs. This is this is all going to gonna help the developer community do the development, and we all get the benefit. I mean, it's hard to find anybody nowadays who is completely able-bodied and yet doesn't use any accessibility features. I mean, everybody over 40 has changed the font size, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anybody listening who's over 40, you've already done it. Uh, you know, you've used the flashlight to light up a, a, a menu at a restaurant. You know, you've done you've done things, you know, Zoom features. Um, you've turned subtitles on watching Game of Thrones, right? I mean, how else do you know how to pronounce, see, spell anybody's name? <laughs> Um, these kinds of things are, are all, uh, benefit all of us, but the, the foundational thing is for people with disabilities to have better access to everything. And it was cool to see the audience that excited about that. Yeah. To, to really respond to that. And you've been covering not just uh, among Apple, but, you know, kind of accessibility tech or, or the, the status of accessibility in development and in tech uh, for a while now. Right, Allison? Yeah. Um, I, I just re- they get the coolest stuff. You know? <laughs> they, I, one of my favorite conferences is called the CSUN Assistive Tech Conference. And it's just like it's a candy store of fun gadgets and software uh, for people with autism, uh, people with hearing disabilities, uh, seeing disabilities, uh, motor control problems. Um, it's, it's really nifty stuff. Um, one of the things that was really important about Apple's announcement of what they call voice control, which is what this video of the guy in the wheelchair was, uh, was about, was um, there's a company called Nuance, and they uh, have an application called Dragon that allows you to do dictation. And it's been on the Mac forever and also on Windows, and it's very, very good. I mean, the accuracy rate is fantastic. It's a professional piece of software, and they announced a few months ago that they were dropping support for the Mac. And um, uh, one of my listeners uh, is uh, has cerebral palsy, and now he's losing his vision, which is just like you add those two together, oh, you're geez. in the, the nexus of can't do anything, which is awful. When Nuance announced this, he told me, he said, I will be... I will be fired for this. I cannot do my job without this. It's not going to be possible. And he's tried working with Windows and he's worked with the accessibility people at Microsoft and he's been unable to get a solution 
through Microsoft accessibility people. But when, when Apple announced this, it turns out they've been, they've been, um, I'll use the word poach, but they've been hiring uh, engineers away from nuance. And so they have built this new vo voice control and this might be the savior of his job because Apple did this. So this isn't wow. small. This is huge. This is really, really cool. Well, and great also that they put it front and center and not just in, you know, uh, some release notes or something like that or or something like that to really highlight that. Because I, I do think I mean, it was from your appearances on uh, Daily Tech News Show and kind of talking about the, you know, the state of accessibility over time that really even drew my attention to it. Um, and so, again, to see that front and center at a, at a big media event um, that is the WWDC keynote uh, is really encouraging, too. Yeah, um, they also moved the accessibility menu up a level in iOS, so it won't be inside general. It's its own category. Um, I have a, 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 a strange thing I like to do. I like to mind map things. So I mind mapped all of the iOS settings during iOS 11. And uh, yeah, when if you printed it out it, uh, 11 inches wide, it would be four and a half feet tall. And the single biggest section is accessibility. It is wow. wide and it is deep. I mean, there's so much stuff. So for it to be inside general made no sense. And the audience went crazy when they said they were moving it up a level. It's like, yay! Really? That was everybody's <laughs> problem with it? You know? That That is encouraging, though. That, that does make me think that, I mean, obviously there are tons of developers there, but there's always the rumor that, you know, it's just the the uh, the Apple faithful or whatnot. But that, that does seem like a very, like, uh, uh, like real world, like developer uh, reaction to that, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was fantastic. Um, there's a, um, oh, what was I going to tell you something else about the, oh, I, I, let me describe a little bit of what, what voice control looks like. Cause there's probably people going, yeah, what's voice control? Um, the, the demonstration showed that this guy was able to, to navigate the iPhone by, um, turning on a feature where all of the elements had numbers next to them. So let's say, uh, messages had a one. He said, you know, click one and then messages came up and then he was able to address it by using dictation. He, or I'm not sure I got the name, the guy's address in there, but he was able to write the text message with, with voice dictation. But then he was able to switch over to maps and he, he turned a grid on, on the screen and he was able to navigate the map using that grid and then zoom in using that grid too, saying like, I don't know, it was like uh, playing battleships, you know, F4 to G7 kind of thing. It said, now zoom in, <laughs> zoom in, zoom in. And then he took a snapshot of that and, and, and put it over into the text message. And he sent the text message, all of this completely with voice. Uh, it was, it was astonishing. It was, it was super nifty. And, and I just like that everybody thought it was as cool as I did. That was, that was really fun. Well, and if, yeah, if nothing else, I mean, you, you pointed out that Tons of people use accessibility for a variety of reasons, for convenience or, you know, out of a genuine, you know, physical need uh, for them. I also think that could lead to some very cool, you know, having that that kind of tool set already just built in there uh, could just lead to some very cool apps and ideas, um, you know, from games to, to you know, any, any kind of apps out there. I, just the more tools you give developers, the more creative they can tend to be. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what's going to grow out of that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. when, when they made the watch, they didn't know about that it was going to turn into fitness, right? And, or, or I shouldn't <laughs> say fitness, health. They definitely did not know that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, okay, so that brings me, uh, you know, kind of into one of the other elements from WWDC, uh, watchOS updates. Um, I, to me, this seemed like everyone just kind of went meh, which is baffling to me because clearly Apple Watch is, 
you know, the market leader or, or I mean, it has to be in terms of market share. You see everyone wearing them. Insurance companies are giving them away, you know, at, to employers and stuff like that. And, and these are major, major announcements for watchOS. We're talking about, you know, kind of the uh, the ability to run bring an app store to watch OS, right? So it's no longer, you're kind of porting stuff over from another iOS device. Uh, you're, you know, you're going to be able to run, you know, uh, more dedicated full apps on there. They were talking about, um, you know, music streaming and stuff like that. I mean, the one component I didn't see was if carriers would let you get just a, you know, cause for the longest time now, ever since they had LTE, not for the longest time, they only had LTE, uh, Apple watches for a little bit. Um, but you have to have basically another subscription to get the LTE, for, you know, from your phone and then get the LTE subscription if you have Verizon right. or whoever for your watch. So now the ability to kind of have your own app store, have, you know, dedicated apps just for that platform. To me, that seems, you know, a, like a huge move for watch OS. And maybe it's because people haven't had it in their hands or, or maybe it's just because, you know, Apple watch is just this thing that tracks your steps and you get some, you know, text message notifications on it. Maybe people are underusing them and, and it doesn't really affect them that much. But Alison, what was the reaction of the room for the watch OS stuff? Well, I don't, I had so little reaction personally. I wrote no notes down about it. Wow. I wrote like 15 pages of notes over the course of those two events. And I didn't write anything down about watch OS cause I thought it was a snooze. <laughs> So I'm definitely fully in the mech camp, um, mostly because watch apps aren't really any good. You know, there are definitely some things I use all the time. You know, I use the timer. I use the workouts app. Um, most of the time I can walkie talkie my husband and I check the weather. Um, I, I don't do anything else on, you know, maybe sometimes I'll do wallet. I'll do a little. Oh, I'm sorry. I do um, Apple Pay with it. But I haven't found any apps that I'm thinking, whoa, this thing is mind blowing. This is going to be great. And the only problem with it was that I had to install it from my phone. <laughs> I just don't remember. I mean, sure, it would be better to, from the watch. But are you? how are you going to scroll through a, 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 an app store on a watch and choose things and search? You Jeez. use your digital crown. You use advanced uh, voice <laughs> navigation, evidently. Um, no, um, Scribble. I, I admit, That's how you're going to do it. Scribble is how you're going to search. There's, it is a very, I guess maybe it is a very potential announcement, right? It lays the foundation for theoretically uh, making it a platform unto itself rather than an extension of iOS on your wrist, right? Um, but for me, I don't, I don't know, as someone who, one of the, re I, so, Apple Watch is the only um, wearable, I guess, that I haven't actually owned or fooled around with at some point. You know, I've had a Pebble. I've done some Android wear. Uh, I've had Fitbits and stuff like that. So th th that to me is the the unknown. And, and I guess I'd, I didn't want it because there was an implicit um, lock-in with the iOS ecosystem, even though I have an iPhone. Um, and up until recently, I was using a Mac every day. You know, it, it was more, I guess, the, the, a bizarre principle on my part. Also, it was the most expensive, and I'm cheap sometimes. Um, but the the idea now that you can have these independent apps theoretically maybe down the line even have you know a dedicated cell connection to that like that to me is is interesting that it can be more of a standalone platform versus an extension of iOS but it does have some I guess some practicality issues inherent in having such a small screen limited processing that kind of stuff on your wrist yeah I you know as far as the cell service part of it is I know uh you know I I, I dance in circles with very nerdy Apple fan people and mm -hmm. I don't have any friends 
who bought the cellular service version and kept it going. Really? Yeah, they're all like, yeah, it was really cool. Look, I can do this without my phone, but my phone's always with me. You know, a few people <laughs> here and there is like, no, I'd like to be able to go out with my phone, um, but they don't use it. And pl- I mean, it's $10 a month. That's ridiculous. I think that's a big part of it. I think if it was if it was free or, you know, a dollar or something is probably what it's worth. It's not worth $10. Nonsense. Well, I, I, I'll be interested to see in with the next rev of the Apple Watch if there is any kind of significant hardware advancement to maybe take advantage of these new, more independent capabilities. But perhaps that's why it was a it was a mad announcement. And, and maybe maybe my optimism about it is misplaced. Um, <laughs> kind of moving on to uh, tvOS, another one that I think they went through fairly quickly. I think part of that is the reason is, Part of the equation on that is going to be their, you know, uh, the TV service that they're coming out with. And since they are, you know, they've already kind of spoken about that, but yet haven't spoken too much about it at the same time. Um, You know, there's (laughs) a long, long announcement with no information, no no delivery date. The the one. Yeah, exactly. And it showed no new content, which was baffling. Or how much Um, it was going to cost. Other than that, it was a great keynote. It was it was perfect. It was it was classic. Um, but the big thing with uh, TVOS now is support for multiple users, um, which I think is yes. you know puts it on par with Netflix or or any any number of. I guess that's more of an app play. This what's interesting there is that this is a you know the entire platform now can be customized per user. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, I do really like that. And the first thing I did was I turned to my husband Steve and said, "Okay." We're doing this one right. When it starts, you're getting your own account. Because when we started watching Netflix, we were like, eh, whatever, you know, whoever shows. And now I've got all this creepy stuff, you know, like he's watching Handmaid's Tale and Black Mirror and all this terrifying stuff. And I'm over here watching the Andy Griffith show. You know, So our tastes are slightly different on what we would choose. And um, I told him, I said, yeah, you need to have your own channel to start with. Yeah, that's uh, that's the key there. Well, and also I think that could be big for anybody that has kids, right? Just to be able to, oh, yeah. to have a dedicated profile for that. Um, as someone with two wee ones myself, that definitely has a lot of appeal. The one thing um, that they like commented on as a feature, but I don't know anyone that thinks that is like the full screen preview thing where it'll autoplay. Oh my <laughs> full gosh. Full screen previews. I was like, that's the worst feature of Netflix. Like I have yes. to constantly, I have to constantly bounce back and forth between what I'm thinking about on Netflix so it doesn't play it because it's oh. the most annoying thing ever. I, I mean, I put- it'll look pretty, right? At least it'll look pretty. Yeah, it would be very pretty as it's annoying the daylight time. Maybe, it, I mean, didn't they institute the feature in Safari where we don't have autoplay videos for other services? Well, this is a sit back and relax uh, oh. situation. So, um, was there was there anything else from the the TVOS front? Again, I, I feel like they're holding some of it back. Um, well, the other big thing, I guess, was support for, and you had mentioned it previously, uh, for uh, Sony and Xbox uh, or Sony PlayStation and Xbox controllers. Um, if you're going to be playing games on that, which has some, you know, means you can theoretically have some more mature gameplay experiences on the platform, which is cool. Yeah, the developers did go crazy about that. Um, I'm not a gamer, so I didn't have any big opinion on that. It's like, yay for gamers. Okay, cool. (laughs) You have more buttons. Yay. Um, (laughs) As someone who theoretically would like to game, just has no time for it. Like that to me is cool. And oh, it's it's definitely huge. I I, I shouldn't downplay it. I mean, just because I don't need to use it. it, You can't play games with it. uh, Apple TV remote, you know. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, you can uh, somewhat argue you can't navigate Apple TV with an Apple TV remote, but that's an entirely. I actually really, really like the remote. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, probably one of the only ones, but to be able to use my voice to just go, here's my password, here's my. Well, now I hardly ever have to put passwords in anymore, but to be able to search, it's great. I love the Apple TV remote, but only as a fidget toy. We have one in our conference room at work. And so I will just pick that up and touch the <laughs> click pad and touch all the buttons. It, it does have a great tactile feedback, which I like. Um, so that's good. Um, bouncing in, though, one of the things that stood out to me in one of the other announcements, I guess, for platform announcements for iPad OS. Well, first of all, there's iPad OS. Hi. Um, they're officially making it, you know, it's, its own platform, um, which I think is well do and you know kind of my my thoughts on iOS for the longest time was that it really was fragmenting into very different experiences depending on what device you were using it on in terms of gestures and that kind of stuff and by separating that out functionally for a consumer i guess it down the road may make some difference i mean there were some big updates for iPad OS one of which though was not multiple user uh, <laughs> i thought when they showed off the Apple TV um multiple oh, user accounts yeah. that, that was going to be coming to iPad OS. Turns out not so much, but that's like the only thing that didn't come to that. I mean, they really went through a big checklist of things that annoy people on iPads. And so I, I the big one for me was having desktop Safari uh, on, uh, you know, available on an iPad, I think is, is huge for a lot of people, especially for pro people where a lot of people just use a web browser. I'm certainly in this class where 90% of my work is done in a web browser. And th that was always kind of the knock on the iPad Pro for me was it's like, I don't know how WordPress is going to render in this if I'm going to be able to edit it with the same level of speed that I can get to, um, you know, uh, on desktop Safari. Having that now, I think, is, is huge for a lot of people. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really hesitated when I heard that one to try to decide if I liked it or not. Um, I don't know if you know this, but if you press and hold on the uh, refresh button on mm -hmm. Safari on, on iOS, you get an option to request desktop site today. Well, but is that, does it, oh, okay. My impression with the Safari, like with the announcement from WWDC was that it was going to be, I don't know. Natively that, was, that way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying if you wanted it today, you actually okay. can get it. Oh, okay. I was um, aware. This but, is this is Trixie by Oh uh, no, look at that. Look at that. I think what I was more excited about about um in in that category, and this does actually extend to the iPhone as well. I do like them separating the the um uh the OSs. I think that's a really good move. Um in the State of the Union, they announced that all apps coming to the App Store must now adapt to all screen sizes. Hmm. So you don't get to make a stupid iPhone app. Uh, uh, and and have it come up with that two x thing. Uh, you know, I just that right. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble getting my words out because I'm not probably not allowed to swear. Um, you would appreciate not, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Instagram for crying out loud. Come on, you know, let me have a real app. You know, so I I'm hoping updates to apps also have to adapt to all screen sizes. They did not say that explicitly, but I'm I'm really hopeful of that. But the bigger thing that blew my dress up in both categories of iOS and iPadOS is that there's going to be USB support. So you're going to be able to plug in a mouse and you can plug in a, a uh, and actually you can do mice over Bluetooth as well, I heard. Uh, but you can you can plug in a thumb drive and access your files. I mean, that's poof, top of your head blown off, right? We've only well, been asking for that for 10 years. 
and to do direct imports into app. So if you're, you know, I mean, the classic use case as a photographer, you can go right into Lightroom instead of having to go through the weird, you mean, you know, you mean right into, manager. you mean right into affinity photos, which yes, you really affinity mean. photo. Thank uh, you. Well, believe me, that's the one I can afford because I don't want to do a subscription. Yes. Um, affinity so, photos. Amazing. Yeah. Just to the audience. Um, uh, Here's here's another advantage though of the of the mouse thing that is is huge in my world. Um, I do video screencasting for Don McAllister Screencast Online, and he has to pay someone to show our clicks with our like where we tap with our fingers as we're making these videos. So this person has to sit there and do the most boring job in the world, which is guess where we tapped and then draw a red circle and decide how long that circle is going to be held down before it blinks to show that you tapped it. Uh, when you plug in a mouse, you can see the cursor. You can see where your fa where your where your mouse is. It's uh, called um, pointer support. The the iPad announcement did have the the funniest clap line I think I've ever heard in an Apple keynote. It was when they're talking about the new Files app. So this is going to be a much more full-featured file manager, which again, when you're talking about something that could be considered a professional device or is, you know getting work done on is very much needed mm -hmm. um, and it's good to see, but introducing column view and like, there was like legit applause. I, was like, it's I wrote that one down. That was more exciting than everything they said about the Apple watch. I want freaking column view. <laughs> I love a good column view too. I want to, I want my detail view personally as my default view on everything, but column view is cool. But again, it's like, this is a computing platform. We're 19 years into the into the second millennium here, and we can't. <laughs> we we are doing column view. It's, it's Yay, so column view! I was Yay, so excited. That is literally in my notes. I did not put it in my blog post, but I did write it down, and I because I was so excited. <laughs> and and so I guess the question is, you know, the when the iPad Pro first came out, you know, I think it was Tim Cook said, you know, this is this is my primary computer now, right? And they've really been especially with the latest rev of the iPad Pro, I think really pushing it as a, not just a productivity device, but as your pro, like a potentially a primary computing device with mouse support, with like the more advanced uh, uh, feature support where for copying, pasting, for dragging the cursor a little bit more smoothly, thumb drive support, default desktop, uh, you know, class browsing on Safari, quote unquote, desktop class uh, browsing. Um, is this something that you think Certainly not going to give out in offices, but for a lot, for the majority of people could be a work device as is. It's it's sure getting close. Um, it will be interesting to see. One of the things a lot of people pointed out when the new iPads Pro came out was that they're so overpowered for the operating system they have running on them. Yeah. And a lot of people said it really felt like they were building something for later. Because you don't need a desktop class processor for iOS 12. You just don't because there's not that much it can do. But um, if it if there these things come through, I think a file system is a is a you know a, a working file system, a functional file system. I would qualify that. Um, that is a, certainly is a big step. And I know having a mouse connected seems like a like a, a dumb trivial thing, but I, I watch people using um, Microsoft Surfaces at Starbucks, and it looks way more productive. You know, <laughs> just watch them reach out and do it. It's like, whoa, this is great. This is great. So, uh, here's an, oh, go ahead. Well, and the other big thing that, uh, in terms of productivity, um, and I think for a lot of people coming from either uh, Mac OS or Windows to an iPad now, is really freeing up the ability to do multi window outside of just doing a two pane or maybe a three pane. Um, situation the the way they're revising that 
I think could also because I mean, as it was previously on what was formerly the OS running on an iPad, um, you know, it was it was very like like first gen window management. I mean, I'm talking about like the original Macintosh or like Windows like one or something like that, where you had to lock in these windows in these very set configurations. Yes, you could scale them and and move them a little bit. I'm exaggerating uh, just a tiny bit. But to really have a lot of freedom to kind of manage those windows, I think, will be comforting. I don't even know if it's needed, but it will be comforting for someone coming to the device for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And it, I'm with you that I think the ability to have uh, separate windows for the same uh, the same app and to, to add to what, what Rich just said for the audience, um, they showed two notes files side by side, but then they also showed notes in split view with other apps. So mm -hmm. they went into kind of like a, well, he called it expose, which is something you have on the Mac where you can yeah. see all of the uh, spaces where, um, where this app is running. And so you could see that I had two side by side here. I had one by itself over with mail. And what, what I loved, I just, I went crazy at that announcement because I was sitting there writing in notes knowing full well that I wouldn't be able to write my blog post in notes because I can't have notes and notes up at the same time. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, if you had that. So I ended up, you know, of course I, I blog in Mars edit anyway, but I don't have Mars edit on my iPad. So I had to wait until I was near my Mac to write in Mars edit so that I could bring up notes beside it and do it. But I could have been more productive. I could have been working on those, those show notes from notes if I could have two notes. Yeah, definitely. Or I mean, in any number of office use cases, like literally Microsoft office use cases, you need to have, you know, side by side documentation like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that, that's again, that's like a very it's like it's the column view of announcements where it's like <laughs> it's boring, but it's also something you do literally every single day. And it's it's one of the things you're definitely going to notice when you go to be like, oh, yeah, I can't do that. It just kind of takes another th this the the iPad OS release really was like, okay, here are all the things that you said annoyed you when we brought out the new pro. Let's fix all of those. Um, and now now you have no reason not to get one. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I, I would say some of the things we're talking about are sort of minimum threshold things. Mm -hmm. So it's not that having uh, multi-window support is going to change the whole day, but it stops it from working at all today. Uh, it, you know, if you have to go reach for your Mac because you can't do it on an iPad, like like my the problem I had, then that's it's it's not meeting minimum requirements. It may not be what we need it to be, but if it doesn't have that, it's not meeting the minimum. And you know, kind of alongside uh, the iPad OS announcements was there were some updates to. I mean, certainly iOS 13 is going to have a whole suite of updates. There wasn't, was there one, anyone that stood out to you um, as especially important? I mean, there was updates to notes, to mail, series getting better as it does every release. Um, you know, was there anything that particularly stood out? Uh, you're talking specific to iOS 13, not yeah. iPad OS? Yes. Um, did they even talk about anything that was just iOS? Um, I, you know, I'm trying I to remember what was specific to that. I mean, it was it was again, it was mostly like service related, you know, Siri related. I guess that would be iPad OS as well. Um, there's oh, here's, be dark here's mode. one. Yeah, I don't care about that. Mode? I mean, sure. Dark mode. Great. <laughs> yeah. OK. So no, I mean, I really like dark mode, but OK, good. Yeah. Uh, uh, here was one. Um, they're adding an ETA to maps. 
So that's something you can do with uh, an app called Glimpse today. Uh, so Glimpse is a little bit Sherlocked there, where in Glimpse you can say um, uh, you send a glimpse to someone and you can tell you can put in the address you're going to, so you don't have to keep calling them and go, oh man, hitting a lot of traffic. Whoops, traffic you know got better. Um, the problem is Glimpse has started to fail. It's like it just doesn't work a lot of times, and so having it in Apple Maps, I think, would be really really nice. And uh, you can also do it in um, ways. So it, 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 that's just kind of bringing it up, but it, it would matter to me. I think it would be fun. What about the yeah. Memoji? We haven't even talked about being able to do makeup in Memoji and do tongue rings. Again, um, the, the hashtag tweens, I'm sure will like that. So my iOS device, I decided to buy the one that d can't do any of the cool AR camera stuff. <laughs> I have the iPhone 8. Uh, so I, I am locked out of all Memoji uh, madness. No, you're not. Uh, no, you're not, because you have uh, all A9 or higher processors can make Memoji stickers. So oh. you can still get blue hair and you can get a tongue ring and you can put on really cool glasses and um, maybe having nice a sparkle rouge. gem on your on your teeth and then make a sticker out of it to send to your children. Well, um, I'm going to I'm going to make a to do list in the new notes app <laughs> and then I'm going to make that side by side with things I'm not going to do. And, I don't I don't uh, use Memoji a lot, but I think it's a really, really fun expression. Um, my friend Kaylee in Japan uh, is always sending me stuff. And I, I hate her because she's always on the betas and got cooler stuff. And last night she sent me a Memoji. <laughs> I had said something extraordinary and she sent me a Memoji where a Memoji sticker where her the top of her own head had blown off, you know, like blew my head off. <laughs> it was adorable. And then she talked to me for a while as an octopus and um noted that the octopi have tongue tongues so she could stick her tongue out as an octopus so that was fun um you know it, it, there's enough seriousness in this world just like i don't game this is true it's this okay true. if people want to have more personality i mean one of the big complaints with memoji is everybody looks alike so now we'll be able to distinguish each other better in our memoji I will put in a, a nice um, tongue stud and uh, it'll be it'll be all good. I want to um, be the first recipient of that. <laughs> uh, I will. As soon as we're done recording here, Allison, I will get right <laughs> well, on. You got to be on iOS um, 13. So I will certainly do that before um, I put a deposit down on a new Mac Pro. And that was one of the uh, the the big announcements. And I think being the only hardware announcement, the thing that you could see um, was one of the reasons it got a lot of attention. The other reason is they had Apple is one of the things that really stood out about the, the new Mac Pro was that they actually teased it like a year in advance um, yeah. in terms of press and stuff like that. So a lot of anticipation for this. Uh, I guess kind of the skinny on it is um, it's going to be real expensive. It's the cheese grater design Redux, um, which is really cool. It's kind of a more proper desktop, not the trash can design. You can do up to 28 cores, 1.5 terabytes of memory, and it has a bunch of PCI slots for expansion in terms of graphics cards, RAID controllers, if you want to throw those in there. I think there's some fiber channel stuff coming out, which is cool. Um, Two so 10 like, gigabit Ethernet ports. Yes, uh, yes. And so it, it's a, it's a. I, I think some of the disconnect, not disconnect, um, the initial reaction was that, hey, this is really expensive. And that's because it's not a, hey, I'm a, a YouTuber. I, I, think it's, I think it's because the 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 pro name is used very liberally by Apple, and mm. this is really like a professional professional. Capital life. P. I have a yes. I have a movie production house, mm. and I need a, a high end workstation editing machine. 
um, for 8K video. That's what this is for. I'm a, I'm a developer and I need to cut down on my rent. You know, this will substantially cut down on my render times, allow me to be more productive. Um, so, I'm, Allison, I'm curious on your thoughts on the uh, new uh, Cheese Grater 2.0 Mac Pro. Well, definitely everything you've said, I would agree with uh, 100%. The, um, the thing I like about it as an Apple fangirl is that it'll shut people up. Um, it, 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 no one looked at this and said, well, yeah, but it can't dot, dot, dot. Right. <laughs> it was like, it doesn't fit in my pocketbook, you know, in my checkbook. That's, uh, that's a, ask your, your, uh, parents what a checkbook is, but, um, <laughs> you know, they said that, but there was, there is nothing to complain about the, the headroom that this has for the, uh, the true movie making community. And I think things that keep the movie makers in there and the giant music houses in there is, is going to be, um, is going to be really important. I, uh, it doesn't matter to me on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you know, I had a 2013 MacBook pro and I bought a 2016 MacBook pro and I was unable to measure the speed difference between those two machines. With the exception of the disk read and write, they were both SSDs, but Apple uh, doubled the speed of the uh, of the SSD reads and writes. So, And I got actually about 2.4 times as fast in read and write to my disk. But even rendering screencasts for Screencast Online, I am unable to measure the difference between those two generations of machines. Wow. So I would love to buy a new Mac right now. I have no excuse to buy a new Mac. I mean, these things are just crazy fast as they are, so... Um, this is a cool announcement for the true pro community with capital P and, uh, I'm, I'm excited that they're going to stop whining about the, uh, trash can MacBook <laughs> or Mac pro, but the I want to make sure we that... save time for one other thing. So but yes, yes. go ahead. Well, the one thing that really stood out to me just real quick here is not just that this is a more traditional PC design with PCI slots and whatnot, um, and that it's expandable, which is very rare for an Apple product these days, but also the inclusion of these afterburner expansion cards. And so basically oh, yeah. what these are are FPGAs that will accelerate video rendering to certain, um, you know, Apple formats, Apple codecs and stuff like that. Yeah, what yeah. Is, um, what, is, the, what is interesting to me there is that there I in I, so I cover enterprise IT for um, gestaltit.com as my kind of my day job. And there's a lot of anxiety, I feel like, or or. There's there's the latent potential of FPGAs to kind of disrupt where NVIDIA is right now in a lot of the ML AI market. Um, and so this is kind of the first big, you know, FPGAs are everywhere. Um, you know, um, they're basically um, for in a super simple way. They're much easier to design or faster to design and deploy chips than like a traditional silicon CPU or GPU. Right. But they're much more specialized generally. Um, and so seeing Apple come out with essentially a consumer FPGA. I'm interested to see if they do that more going forward for specific use cases. Um, and if so, you know what that means for NVIDIA down the road. I don't know if that's really an Apple-specific thing, but I thought that was very interesting. I'm really intrigued by what you just said. I did not know any of that. I knew that FPGA stood for Field Programmable Gate Array, but I didn't know anything about every single other thing you just talked about. So that uh, <laughs> yeah, there, I learned a bunch. There, there's all sorts of analysts that will tell you that FPGAs are right now going to probably supplement the ML uh, workload market. But Is ML metal? Uh, machine learning. Machine learning. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. Look at you and your uh, and, jargon. And, you know, kind of, kind of the uh, machine learning workload space, but that eventually it will start eating into um, the high, really high-end GPU stuff that NVIDIA and somewhat AMD are into right now. 
um, and really is what allowed NVIDIA to be particularly profitable in the last couple of years. So is, are you thinking this would make Apple a third competitor in the graphics card business? No, but what I do think is if they if they're going to bake in ever more sophisticated abilities into Siri with on device logic, aka not punting that information up to the cloud and having it rendered and sent back, which is kind of what Apple is all about. And FPGA would be very good for more advanced uh, processing like that. So, you know, and, and they're already making their own GPUs now for iOS. So hmm. I think that's a very interesting. Component. Well, who's making these graphics cards that they did show that the FPGA based graphics yeah. cards? That I don't know. I'm knowing Apple, they probably acquired some FPGA maker and maybe they're making, you know, maybe they're making them fabulous um, in house or if uh, I don't know if they're renting those out, that would be interesting to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to make sure we didn't skip over is yes, the breakup yes. of iTunes. Yes. Um, so this was possibly the most enjoyable part of the keynote. Craig Fagnarighi says he gets up there and he says, we heard you. All you've been telling us is you want more in iTunes. So bringing you <laughs> iTunes 13. And he shows, he says, so we've added calendar to it and we've added photos to it. It was hilarious because it was just leaning into everything you hate about iTunes. So then they announced that they were splitting it up. Uh, so there's going to be a, a dedicated podcast app and then a, um, let's see, a, a dedicated mu uh, Apple Music app and uh, the TV app. So the TVOS app. Um, something really interesting I learned reading uh, Jason Snell's coverage on sixcolors.com is that the podcast app that you will see is running in Catalyst, which is Apple's new uh, way of allowing you to take an iOS app and make it run on, on the Mac. And um, you, you guys might have heard of it uh, called... Uh, Marzipan, Marzipan before, but the yes. real name is Catalyst. So uh, what, what Jason said, he saw these three apps running side by side. So he saw a podcast app and he saw the music app and he saw the uh, TVOS app or the TV app and all three of them, he said, you would not be able to tell which one was a Catalyst app. He said, wow. you could not have picked it out in a lineup was his exact quote. So that's kind of exciting. Um, as exciting as it is to see iTunes broken up, it's even more exciting to know that that Catalyst apps can be that good. So that means a lot of that stuff, all that development that's been done on the iOS, iOS side will be coming to the Mac, which makes the Mac a more useful platform. So I like it. Yeah, and it definitely something that pretty much everyone agrees on at this point. Um, and I also love that they've just taken um, sync, at least on Mac OS, and just put that right in the finder where it should be <laughs> oh, yeah, all yeah. the time. That was another huge clap, uh, you know, as big as column view was when he showed, he says, watch, when you plug in an, an iPhone, watch what happens. Nothing. And everybody goes, <laughs> yay! Because I mean, how many times have you been sitting there going, okay, how do I get rid of that? I, I don't know if you know, but the way to stop iTunes from launching is actually to open up... Um, Oh, God, it's this other app uh, that's about something capture, Im not image capture. Now I can't remember the name of it. Um, what is it called? Oh, I can't even remember the name. Im no, it is an image capture. Maybe it is image capture. That is what it is. You open up image capture and in the bottom left, there's a little thing that says when the phone, when you plug in a phone, what happens? And that's one of the places you can stop it from launching iTunes. You may have been able to do it in iTunes too, but uh, but now that won't pop up. Instead, in the file, if when you're looking in the Finder in the left sidebar under Devices, you're going to see your iPhone and you click at it, and now you see that entire screen that you used to see inside iTunes. So that is just a glorious, glorious thing. That may be the most user friendly thing Apple has ever done, and they, <laughs> but it the only thing that it does make me sad is you know it, it definitely is an end of an era, and certainly iTunes has lived out 
its usefulness. And it was kind of the centerpiece of that whole digital hub um, idea that, you know, uh, yeah. Apple had around the turn of the, you know, around the turn of the millennium, um, which <laughs> was terrifying at the time really innovative, but it, it certainly has outlived its usefulness, right? Yeah. I, I heard a podcast that was hilarious. As soon as the rumor started floating that iTunes was going to be broken up, they started talking about how many things they're going to miss. It's like, God, you guys hate everything. You know, all you've done is complain <laughs> about iTunes for the last five years at the very least. And now as soon as it's going away, it's like, yeah, but then I won't be able to blah, blah, blah. So. You know, if um, this this is the only bummer about it, really, is that no Democratic uh, presidential candidate can campaign on break up iTunes because <laughs> I feel like that would have been super successful. Sadly, oh, yeah, you're right. Now that they, now they're going to have to stand on their own two feet. Oh, well, I know. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, you had your chance. <laughs> All right. Well, Allison, unfortunately, I think we're just about out of time here, but thank you so much for this. This was a ton of fun. Where can people find more of your great stuff if they are so inclined? The best place to go is podfeet.com. That's P-O-D-F-E-E-T.com, which is, uh, I, I chose that name to make sure that none of that nasty search engine optimization would ever find my podcast. That's my goal. <laughs> uh, you can find all of my podcasts over at, in uh, your podcatcher of choice. If you look up Podfeet, I think you would find everything. All right. And that just about does it for this episode of Weekly Tech News Hour. Thanks again to Allison Sheridan uh, for being on. We'll be back next Monday, 1 to 2 p.m., running down the tech news of the week. Until next time, take care, everybody. Bye now.